Late last month, JAMA published updated recommendations on aspirin and primary prevention of cardiovascular disease from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. It was the USPSTF's sixth go at the question since 1989. This time on Clinical Conversations, we've got Dr. Alan Brett, an internist at the University of Colorado and the editor-in-chief of the NEJM Journal Watch series. He wrote JAMA's editorial accompanying the new recommendation, uh, the new recommendations, and he's here to talk about them. Hello, Alan. Let's start with a brief summary of the uh, of the uh, USPSTF's two uh, main recommendations. Thanks, Joe. Before I start, you mentioned the sixth go at the question since 1989, and so people have been practiced for a while. Will will note how this pendulum has gone back and forth. So. Um, this one actually is a continuation in the direction of less compared to the latest 2016 one. So I'm going to first just verbatim give the two recommendation statements because it's important to understand the language that they used. For people uh, age 60 years or older, it's pretty straightforward. They say that they recommend against initiating low-dose aspirin use for the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease in adults 60 years or older. So it's pretty straightforward, but note that they use the word initiating here and not what to do if a patient's already on it, which we'll get to later. And of course, it, this is a D recommendation, which means unequivocally that the task force recommends against the service. The other one's a little more nuanced and complicated, and this has to do with younger adults. And here's what they say. The decision to initiate low-dose aspirin for the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease in adults aged 40 to 59 who have a 10% or greater 10-year cardiovascular risk should be an individual one. Evidence indicates that the net benefit of aspirin use in this group is small. So again, they use the word initiate, and this is a C recommendation. And it's also worth noting what C means, a grade C for the task force. It means that they recommend selectively offering or providing the service to individual patients based on professional judgment and patient preferences. So there's a fair amount of latitude there about how the clinician should implement this with any given patient in that age group. Now, the updates were based on uh, the task force's review of 11 trials, but your editorial focused on the three most recent. Can you talk a, a bit about uh, the reason you selected those three? That's right. So they published a separate evidence review that's a, basically uh, a sort of meta-analysis on 11 randomized trials of aspirin versus uh, no aspirin or placebo. But in 2018, our listeners hopefully remember these three major randomized trials that were published all within a couple of months of each other. And they were called Arrive, Aspree, and Ascend. And in each one, patients were randomized to 100 milligrams of aspirin a day or placebo. This was all primary prevention. The Aspree trial, uh, and let me just say there were 50,000 patients enrolled in these three trials, a substantial proportion of patients compared to uh, what's been looked at uh, over the decades. In the Esprit trial, it was all older adults. Uh, the mean age was in the 70s. Most had other risk factors, as you would expect in older people. And uh, after five years, there was no reduction in cardiovascular events. 
there was a one percentage point higher risk of bleeding, and there was a small but statistically significant increase in death. So there was no benefit and harm in the ESPRIT trial. The second one was the ARRIVE trial. This was a bit of a younger age group. Still, the mean was in the 60s, but you could get into this trial starting at age 55. And all these people had risk factors. In fact, the uh, mean risk calculator score in this study was 17% 10-year risk. So these people are over that magical 10% <laughs> that, we, that we heard about. And again, no benefit from aspirin, a half a percentage point increased bleeding, which was significant because of the size of the study. And then the third one was uh, only diabetic patients, only patients with diabetes who were over age 40, but the mean was still in the early 60s for age. And this was the only one of the three that showed a statistically significant lower cardiovascular event rate. It was one percentage point lower with aspirin versus placebo. And there was conversely a one percentage point higher risk of serious bleeding. So they kind of offset each other, although you could argue is a bleeding event the same as a cardiovascular event? Well, that's a whole nother discussion. They're not exactly equal, but it's pretty much one-to-one -one trade off there. So those are the three studies. And the reason I spent so much time on them because they were conducted in the last decade in a much more contemporary um, medical, medical practice situation than some of the older trials, which were, which were 20, 30, even 40 years old. And currently, I think in most developed countries, control of blood pressure, cholesterol is better, there's less smoking. So I think that these, to me, these three trials should carry more weight than the preceding trials. Okay. Now, your editorial expressed a couple of uh, uh, concerns about, uh, especially the, the language of the recommendations. Can you talk a bit about those? Sure, sure. Yeah, I kind of uh, keyed on three things here. And let me start by saying, I think overall, the guideline got it right. The, the D recommendation for people over 60, I think, is right on and conforms to what we just talked about with these recent studies. For the 40 to 60 age group, I think we could have a discussion about the C recommendation, the sort of middle of the road one versus some people might have given it a D there too. Uh, I think that would that would be a, an interesting sort of further discussion. But overall, I think the, the guideline was fair. The, the three points that I made were as follows. One was the, the two statements, as, as you heard a few minutes ago, talked about initiation of aspirin, but we have huge numbers of patients who are coming in already on aspirin, either because we told them to take it or because they're just taking it on their own, okay? And many of them are uh, over 60, some are under 60, and they only give a few sentences to that group. And it's a little bit peculiar where they basically say in those few sentences that if a patient had good reason to be on it based on their risk, et cetera, before age 60, you could probably continue till age 75. They say it would be, quote, reasonable to do that. And I just don't get that. I think that, you know, even if you err on the side that it might have been beneficial for people in their 50s with risk factors, maybe lower bleeding risk, the three studies I mentioned clearly show that when you exceed 60, it's pretty hard to show any benefit and it's pretty easy to show harm. So I would have discussed stopping it also in a much more elaborate way to help these clinicians who are in the trenches. 
The second one was the risk calculator, and it relies heavily on this 10% risk, which they do uh, cite the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association calculator, which is the most commonly used one. I use it and other doctors do. They do, to their credit, mention that the precision of this calculator has been challenged, and there's been a couple validation studies that have shown that, at least in some contemporary population, it overestimates risk. So they did mention this, and that's to their credit. And I just bring it up to say that I think clinicians need to remember that, as I think I wrote something like, you know, plugging numbers into a calculator is really alluring. You, you get this objective number, and there's this sort of sense of objectivity, but there's a huge margin of error there. So um, we need to be cognizant of that. An 11% versus a 9% out of the calculator, you know, I've seen clinicians uh, say, well, yours is 11%. That means you've got to go down this pathway. And in fact, <laughs> what if it was 9.7%? Who knows, right? And the third thing, I think it would have been a little bit better if they had included some absolute numbers to talk to patients about, as in, well, you know, if the studies would suggest that uh, if you take aspirin over the next five years, you might prevent anywhere from zero to two out of 100 chance of having a heart attack or stroke. And for bleeding in the aggregate, they show anywhere from no effect to one out of 100 serious bleeding risk and, and some kind of numbers. Now, the critic could say, hey, Alan, you just basically poo-pooed the precision of these numbers, and I get that. So anytime we talk numbers here, I think we, we have to do it with humility and tell the patient that these are rough ballpark estimates and I may not be able to tell you individually whether you're the one or the 99, you know, who doesn't benefit or who is or is not going to get the, the side effect. So, but I think it would have been better if they had put a few numbers in there that you could share with patients, recognizing the imprecision of the number. So in the end, how do you think clinicians should use these new guidelines? Well, I'll start with the age 60 and over. That's the easy one, right? Um, it's a D recommendation. It tracks nicely the three contemporary randomized trials. And I think there, there's no question, I agree with the guideline, and I think clinicians encountering patients over 60 who ask about it should say, uh, I do not recommend it, and, and we shouldn't even bring it up for patients over 60. I think it would be a distraction in, in the healthcare encounter. Even though they didn't talk about the stopping, you've already kind of heard my intuition is that I think for most patients who are already on it for primary prevention, I'd have a talk about stopping it uh, once they're over 60. You know, if the patient said, oh, I'm doing okay, I want to continue, I wouldn't have a big fight about it, but I think I would give my opinion that I don't think the studies strongly support that. Yeah. For people in between 40 and 60, it's, it's more complicated because it's a C recommendation with all that latitude. So, you know, I, in my practice years, I think some patients can be put on two different sort of uh, ends of a spectrum. I have patients who say, don't do anything to me. Don't give me medicines unless you have really good, strong evidence that there's benefits or that the benefits strongly outweigh the risks. And if you know your patient and that's the kind of patient it is, I, I don't, whatever their age is, I don't think you need to get into the aspirin thing because it's a close call. And that's the kind of patient who doesn't want to take medicine unless there's incontrovertible evidence of benefit. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got patients who even for borderline situations say, 
I just want to do everything I can to prevent X, Y, or Z, even if it's a close call and doctors disagree or whatever. I think in that patient, you can reasonably offer them the aspirin with the caveats of the imprecision of the numbers and, and, and so forth. Okay. So what's between those? <laughs> well, there's a different, uh, other patients between those. For example, there are patients who would say, that who, who we don't have a good sense whether they're a less is more or a more is more patient, who just will say, you know, you're the doctor, you're the expert, tell me what to do and I'll follow you because I trust you, right? So for that patient, then I think each individual clinician is gonna have to read through the guideline, look at the data, read some commentary and, and, and make a decision about which way you lean for the 40 to 60 age group and share that with patients. I don't think it's fair to say, I'm sorry, this has to be guided by your preference. Uh, I, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. If the patient's begging you for the guidance there, I think you have to go out on a limb. So, so there's that patient. And then there's the patient who really does wanna get into a detailed discussion and get into some numbers. And that's where I think what I've said earlier about having some ballpark absolute numbers makes sense. You know, you can go over the guideline with them. I've pulled up US Preventive Services Task Force guidelines in the past in the office with patients and showed them the language. And you could say the best estimates are one to two less cardiovascular events out of 100 patients, perhaps. Uh, and anywhere from none to one excess bleeding event. I don't know whether you're gonna be the one or the two or the 98 or the 99. There's no way for me to know that. What do you think? And, and at least have some semi-quantitative discussion with that patient. So I think that pretty much covers the kinds of patients and the kind of, in, quote, individualized decisions that clinicians will have. And you know, we have limited time in busy office practices. So being fluent in a lot of these data can, can make these things go more smoothly. All right, Alan, thank you. Uh, you know, as a 75-year-old guy, I'm going to keep that uh, aspirin in my medicine cabinet uh, available for headaches. Yeah, um, I was going to, if you hadn't said that, I was going to end this with uh, both of us are over 60, so for the decision for us who have not, you know, knock on wood, had any cardiovascular events, it's pretty easy. Thanks, Joe. That was our 290th episode. We come to you from the writers and editors of NEJM Journal Watch. The executive producer is Kristen Kelly, and I'm Joe Elia. Thanks for listening.